are listening to the Marginally Geeky Show, the Epically Geeky Book Club. Greetings, and welcome to the Marginally Geeky Show, the Epically Geeky Book Club. I'm your host for the evening, Eugene Stevens. Uh, tonight, I'm joined by uh, uh, Jennifer and Mandy. How are y'all doing? Great. Good. Uh, so, anything happened of interest since the last time we convened? Besides the Infinity War comp <laughs> <laughs> talking, we were discussing it before the, the show started, so. Uh, I've gone on some trips and done some things. Yeah, you have, haven't you? Yeah, I've been traveling a bit. So. I'm tired. <sighs> yeah, I, it's it's winding down. We're in the last month of school for this school year, um, and yeah, at this point, I think, you know, I've got a lot of friends and family that are teachers and stuff, and we've, we've already officially hit that mode of, let's just get this over with. <laughs> let's just get to summer. So, um, well, with that said, let's go ahead and uh, move on to our book for the uh, for the month. Uh, this last month, we read How Star, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe by Chris Taylor. Um I was turned on to this book. I suggested it to the group. I was turned on to this book. I listened to a uh, podcast where they were talking about it a little while ago. And um, like a, a star, you know, most Star Wars geeks, I've done some research and, you know, looked up, you know, I know some of the stories and stuff behind some of the, you know, the making of it and everything else. Um, this book to me, though, um, stands out from a lot of the other ones because it's not just like, oh, well, here's how they made the movies. This actually incorporates, like, all of Star Wars. And it, it talks about that. It, it talks about the fandom, and it talks about how um, the 501st and how the toys came about. And, I mean, it, it tries its best to hit everything it can think of that's even somewhat culturally, culturally relevant uh, to, uh, to Star Wars, which is kind of the, the, the premise of the book is the fact that... Even if you say you've never seen Star Wars, you know some Star Wars. Everyone knows Star Wars. So, um, so uh, Jennifer, what were your initial thoughts of the book? Um, I was really impressed with how in-depth he got with uh, not just, you know, what the process Lucas went through and, and his um, thoughts and everything. I mean, he pulled interviews and videos and stuff from, you know, 30, 40 years ago. But also, like you said, like he pulled um, the pop culture references, you know, like things that I, I thought, hmm, this reminds me of this. And then like 20 minutes later, he would bring it up in the book. Yep. Um, so like the parody, the Star Wars that I used to know, for instance, and, and a few other things that I was like, oh, I had forgotten about that. So it was neat that he he really pulled and he not just did that in America, but like internationally, he, you know. So it was really impressive that he was able to get that much information, and he also, you know, told the story I think pretty well about the movies. So, Mandy, what were your initial thoughts? I loved it. Um, I've been like pretty evangelical about this book. I really did love it. Uh, when I bought it, I was in Price Books, and they had to help me find it. And he's like, uh, "Is this for you?" I'm like, "Yeah, but it's for a book club." But because um, I'm like a casual fan, um, I came to Star Wars late. And I just, I loved everything about this book. And you don't even have to like Star Wars. It's just, it's a really, really good read. Yeah, it's well, it's well done. Um, just 
there's a slight chance that we might be able to do a interview with the author. Uh, when I was promoting the uh, book this evening on Twitter, um, the author happened to, cause I tagged him in the post. He happened to like the post. And I just mentioned, I was like, Hey, if you're free and you want to be on the show, you're more than welcome to be. And he said, well, I'm busy tonight, but maybe we can reschedule. And I'm like, uh, yes. So, <laughs> Uh, we may, we may have a follow-up episode to this one, so we'll see. Um, well, as you can tell, like I said, obviously I liked it because I recommended it to the group, so. And you've read it how many times? Or um, <laughs> at least three or four, so. <laughs> a lot uh, of hours. Okay. But here's the <laughs> thing, though. Book. So I go back and, and listen to a lot of books, because I have a, especially since I don't have a partner right now, I have a lot of time in my office when I'm doing work, and I'm just like, all right, well, I'm caught up on my uh, podcast. Time to listen to a book again. So, um, but so the, the whole, like I said, the whole premise of the book is the fact that everyone, to some extent, has been touched by Star Wars, whether you know it or not. And it literally starts off uh, talking Where did about the Star uh, Wars touch you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, it literally starts off talking about George, and of course, you immediately think, "Oh, George Lucas," and no, his name is George James. He's 88. Um, and he was a Navajo co-talker during World War II. Um, and the whole premise of this is set up that um, the uh, the uh, Navajo uh, Nation has been trying to uh, – there's not many people that still speak their, their language, which is uh, uh, Diné. And they're trying to figure out ways to make it cool. They're trying to make it so that they're – uh, they're, you know, they're young, they're young people will, you know, think the language is cool and start learning it and try to keep passing that on. So, um, they worked with, uh, they, they worked with, uh, uh, Lucas and ended up translating the original Star Wars movie into, uh, uh, Diné. So it was this big screening and he had this idea. He wanted to try to find someone who was an absolute Star Wars virgin, someone who, has never seen any Star Wars, who has never had any kind of impact. And uh, he talks about the fact that he, the guy he gets together with was a huge Star Wars nerd. Um, and uh, they actually did a screening the night before, which most of the elders were at. And he's like, well, crap, he's just, <laughs> he just torpedoed this. But then he finds this one, this one older gentleman, George, and he's like, okay, he's, this guy's my last hope. He, he probably knows nothing about it. The man literally lives in a cave. So, um, so he's all excited about that. Um, and at this point he started, he starts setting it up and then he starts, he starts, uh, kind of weaving in some of the other stuff. So he talks about the fact that he works at Mashable and, uh, one of the employees there said, you know, that they had never seen star Wars and they're like, how, how, how have you never seen star Wars? So they started kind of promoting it and, uh, they started the hashtag star Wars virgin and um, what happened was they they basically wanted to get a an event together, and uh, there were a bunch of people in San Francisco. They were like, "Hey, if you know someone who's never seen Star Wars, why don't you bring them?" So it became this big event, so that it wasn't just uh, seeing these people's reaction seeing the movie for the first time, but it was also uh, you know kind of getting to to see it through someone else's fresh eyes because you know most of the people were like, "Oh yeah." seen star wars a million times so um but yeah and and he talks about the fact that he believes everyone knows something about star wars even if you've never seen it and then he talks about one of the specific references he brings up is ewoks and that is because when uh return of the jedi came out everyone knew what ewoks were but they never said it 
in the freaking movie. They never called them Ewoks. It was because of, it was what, the, it was either the toys or it was a cereal box. It was something. But just that was able to permeate through everyone's minds that they knew exactly what it was. And they even talk about, they did some interviews with these people who are like, oh yeah, I've, I've never seen Star Wars. I don't know anything about it. And then, you know, of course they ask a little further, do you, you don't know anything about it? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I know there's there's the big tall black guy and he's the one guy's dad. And then there's the shiny robot and then there's the other robot with him and then there's Luke Skywalker. And they just start naming stuff and it's like, you know a lot more than you think you do. So, um, but yeah, so and at this point, um, they they have the event and he's talking about how it's really awesome. The uh, the five oh first that branch of the five oh first shows up and they're taking pictures with people and there's a guy dressed up as Darth Vader and these people are literally like handing him babies to hold to take pictures and stuff, uh, which I think is hilarious. But then he talks about um, uh, George like gets up and ends up like about 15 or 20 minutes into the movie and, and leaves. And he did ask him a few questions and he said, yeah, he said, I vaguely remember seeing something on a a friend's TV or something, something about uh, flying birds through space. And he's like, well, even, even the person who I thought obviously his, you know, cause I think he does, he does like his arms like up and down, kind of like an X wing. And he's like, yeah. And he's like, okay, well, even you know something, even you freaking live in a cave out in the middle of nowhere. And even you know something starts. Yeah. 88 years old. So um, thoughts up to this point. Oh, gosh. Um, I keep looking to see if there's an Irish translation of Star Wars, because that's another language where they do a lot of that. Um, mm-hmm. Try to make it cool for the kids because it's dying out sort of thing. Um, and I can't find one. So that's another language that... Um, might might need a translation or a dub get on that (laughs) oh yeah awesome actually which is so good (laughs) um but no i love your people to do it oh yeah well yeah we'll go to uh to ireland and work on that jennifer and i will but um i love the that one um may the force be with you is a literal translation of a navajo prayer yes which is awesome um, and then uh, how George asked, why are the stars at war? That kind of crap. Yes. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, he talks about the fact that, um, uh, you know, they're able to translate a lot of, you know, they're able to translate a lot of it. But whenever you get to certain words, there's nothing in the language that even remotely sounds like it. So, you know, it's this this language and then it just hits something like, you know, computer base or something like that. And it's just like. Okay, well, whatever. Like, so, like when three PO was speaking Ewok, and he was like saying their names, R two D Toa. Yes. I also like the fact that they said um, it's a matriarchal society, so they very quickly like they were like recognized. You know, Princess Leia is you know a badass and and everything. So um, I really I, I thought that was cool. So. Um, but yeah, and so at this point, um, he starts talking about some of the writers and stuff for Lucas and how uh, they kind of have a saying to love Star Wars, you have to hate Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was interesting. I, I there's definitely I know some fans that are of that that opinion. Um, 
but it, it it started off as being space fantasy, and he discusses how you know in previous writers and movies were split between science fiction and space fantasy, uh, and the biggest influences he had were Buck Rogers and primarily uh, Flash Gordon. And he goes into a, you know he starts talking about some of these older movies and these older influences that George Lucas had, and how like uh, even way back when like there was a, a clear divide between you know science fiction and space fantasy. And the, the two groups did not really care for each other. Like, it was like, you know, well, this isn't scientifically accurate. And they're like, who cares? It's space and it's awesome. So, um, but yeah, so, and then we, we finally get to, it's, it's funny at this point, you know, we've had several chapters and we finally get to the point where it actually introduces George Lucas, uh, being born, uh, May 14th, 1944, um, he said he was scared as a child. He was bullied. His father owned a stationery store. He was wealthy. He doted on his son. He got to the he got to go to the opening weekend of Disneyland, um, which I found out some interesting things. Apparently, he wasn't there on. He was like there the day after, which, from what I understand from Laney from this last episode uh, of the show that we did, um, would have probably been a Monday because the actual opening day of Disneyland was called Black Sunday because everything went wrong. <laughs> it was apparently a total disaster. Um, so she dropped a little knowledge on me on there. So, but he he got to go and um, he loved he loved Disneyland. He like one of his one of his other big influences. He said was reading uh, Scrooge McDuck um, comics, which I thought was interesting. I was like Scrooge McDuck Star Wars. Okay. Um, but uh, and then it talks about the fact that he loved fast cars. He made movies as a kid uh, just for fun. Uh, but even as a kid, he was like very focused on it needs to look right. It needs to look accurate. So, you know, they're playing with their soldiers or whatever. And they're like literally lighting off sparklers and setting fires and stuff. And they want to make sure it looks good on screen. And I'm like, yeah, that totally sounds like George Lucas. Um, uh, and then, like I said, it, one of his biggest things was Flash Gordon. Um Let's see here. So it, it, okay. And it's at this point that it, it starts going off. And this is one of the things I liked, particularly earlier in the book. It, it kind of stays a little more, once it starts talking about the making of the movies, it, it stays a little more focused. But at this point in the book, it, I don't want to say rambles, but it does pull in a bunch of other stuff. But it, it's at this point that it brings up Alvin Johnson. Um, he lost his leg in a car accident. He was talking to a friend uh, about, star, you know, um, uh, Star Wars, and they started talking about, you know, making a stormtrooper costume. At this point, like, there's nothing, there's no information about it online. It's basically just like finding pictures or watching the movies and trying to copy it as best you can. Um, so with his friend Tom Cruise, that's literally the guy's name. Um, they end up making a storm co- uh, uh, trooper costume, and he goes to uh, the re-release of Star Wars. And promptly gets laughed at and was like, uh, you know, everyone was like, oh, you know, you loser, you know, this, that and the other. And, you know, basically kind of degrading him. And so his friend was like, hey, you know, if we made a second one, I'd join you. So whenever Empire comes out, we can go together. And he said it's at that point with just two people. He said it completely turned everything around. He's like, when there's just one stormtrooper, it's uh, okay. But when you start getting two and three, people start like, oh, shit, this is serious. Like that. (laughs) I'm not messing with those guys. Um, and what's funny is he, he talks about the fact that like his dream at that point was like, wow, if I could get like 10 people together to all be dressed as stormtroopers, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. Uh, but yeah, he, he's the one that started the 501st. 
They help Lucasfilm during Celebration 2. Lucas now uses them, and I had heard about this. This is awesome to me. Lucas now uses them for all of their events. So if you go to some kind of an officially licensed Star Wars event, and there are stormtroopers there, or uh, you know, a, a Vader or anyone else, um, they're from the 501st. Um, they're in 47 countries. 20% of them is female, which I think was also really cool. Um, 60 over 6,500 members. And last or the year that he wrote this, I think this was last year, they raised over a quarter of a million dollars for charity, which is just unbelievable. Um, any thoughts on that up to this point? Um, they're in the movie, the movies now, right? That he said, um, the troopers that follow Vader they, into the Jedi Temple. They're um, technically 501st, yep. They were clone troopers, though, weren't they? Yeah, they started off as clone troopers, and then, yeah, they've, um, Did which they was also funny. Of, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, which was also funny, because it was a little anecdote in there about how, um, uh, uh, what was it? George Lucas's son was in that scene, and he gets he gets killed off in the temple. And then he asks if he can become a five hundred first member, and they're like, "Um, yeah, <laughs> sure. We technically killed you in the movie, but all right." <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I I mean, I've I've met I've met several people in the five hundred first. You talk about a, a cool group of people. Cause I mean, they basically show up, they dress up, they do charity events, they do conventions and stuff. Uh, they're always down for taking pictures. Um, they're, it, it's, it's just a really cool group of people. Um, and if any of them are listening now, we would love to have them at Geek Fest this year, August 17th or 19th. Absolutely. Uh, they can, they never respond when we reach out to them and we've tried to get them almost every year. I thought they'd been there before. Not the 501st. There's like local groups that have come, but oh, I thought that's how I'd heard of them. They'd been at Geek Fest, but I guess not. Now the Mandalorian Mercs have been there, yeah. but I don't think the 501st. Uh, he didn't proper... really touch on them much, did he? The Mercs. No, um, I mean he talks about some of the other fandoms a little bit. I mean the only thing he does talk about a little bit later is he talks about um, when he starts talking about Boba Fett, and he talks about when he dressed up as Boba Fett, and he's like. Yeah. But that was He's his like, part of the 501st, right? Yeah, yeah, they're 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 one of the subgroups. The 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 Mercs are a subgroup, and then the uh, the Rebel Alliance is a subgroup as well. So, um, and then it gets to this part that talk, starts talking about that I had no clue about. Like the first time I was listening to this, I was just like, "Wow, this is interesting." Um, Andrew Ainsworth, he basically, and, and this is where we get into some of the legal stickiness, but he's the one that essentially created the Stormtrooper armor um, for the original movies. Um, and he sells it for a high price, but he does sell it. Um, but he's not liked by the fandom because he knows nothing about Star Wars. He's basically just like, oh, well, here, this, here's this trooper stuff. And there's even another anecdote in there where he's talking about he's got one of the original screen-used helmets, and he's fiddling with it and, like, breaks off a little piece, and he's just like, meh. And he's just like, why is it, you know, the whole Indiana Jones, why isn't that in a museum? Uh, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so he got into this big legal battle with Lucasfilm and was one of the few people that actually, like, I mean, granted, he's still in massive debt, 
because of the you know the legal fees, but actually held his own against you know Lucas and has been able to keep selling his armor. So, um, but yeah, it is not it is not recognized by the five hundred first. Like if you were to go, even if you go spend all this money for it, they're not going to let you in. It's that, that's some hardcore stuff there. So, um. I'd I'd like to talk to someone who's really into the 501st and kind of get, you know, some of their uh, opinions to see if like, if it's like a well-known thing, like if it's just kind of like a, something that happened and it's just like, eh, or if it's kind of a still ongoing thing that's like, oh no, yeah, you, you, you're not welcome. So. <laughs> well, isn't like making your own armor kind of a rite of passage? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's part of it is, so. is that so. And I know they're having to rethink some stuff now that 3D printing is becoming, such a thing it's like well you're still technically making it it's still plastic it can still be you know it just needs to be sanded and polished up and everything so um but yeah um so we go back to george and it talks about how he raced cars in high school uh cruising the streets he got into a wreck totaled his car and that's basically what changed his life um the way he tells it in the book is basically had george lucas not had this crash uh, we wouldn't have Star Wars today because up to this point, he was willing to go do all this other stuff. His mind was, you know, focused mainly on like racing and everything else. And he technically kind of should have died in that wreck. And he said, you know, every day after that has been, you know, I'm on borrowed time. I've been on borrowed time since that wreck. So, um, so it's at this point he decides uh, he's going to go uh, at junior college. He starts getting good grades. He starts studying film. Um, and he made movies at the racetrack and stuff. His father <laughs> offered to help uh, pay for film degree, but of course he had to work for him and, and do this, that, and the other. Um, he was drafted. Um, he was drafted into the war, but. Um, Whenever he got in, they said, sorry, you can't serve, you're diabetic. And he didn't know it up to that point. And one of his big things was he loved soda and he loved candy bars. Um, and he had to give them up. And it, it, it talks about the fact that uh, some of the other – what's crazy is some of these other directors and producers and writers that he hung out with are just like all – giants of the field and it's just it's so crazy that all these guys knew each other and hung out with each other but it talks about the fact that it kind of gave him a leg up because while some of these guys were you know uh drunk or like you know drugged out of their you know off their ass and not you know having problems making their movies like he never did drugs he didn't drink he doesn't even do sugar it's just like you know he just kind of just kept going so uh, good on good old uh, old George for that. So, what? Okay, they're at, they're saying you don't want to get into the five hundred first game. There's only one way out, and that's in Spock's coffin. Really? <laughs> I'm I'm having fun reading about this movie they're playing. I, I, yes, the the <laughs> chat room has its own life. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> it's at this point he meets uh, Marsha Griffin, uh, his future wife. While they're editing movies, um, he told her about his uh, his space movie idea even then, and she talked. And it's funny because it mentions that you know she's just like yeah. Even since the first day I met George Lucas, he just kept talking about this little space movie he had in his head, and he just kept going back to it. So, um, and then starts talking about filming THX eleven thirty eight, um, 
even though he wasn't in film school at the time, which I think was awesome. The fact that he kind of finagled it so that he could still make the movie, but he was in film school because he was like kind of teaching a class or whatever. Um, and ended up winning a ton of awards and stuff for it. Have either of y'all seen THX? No. It's it's one of those movies that I think I should see just kind of like as a, a geek rite of passage, but I don't know if I want to actually do it, if you know what I mean. So, um, I like the holiday special, so I think that's enough. Okay, I'm going to be <laughs> honest. I've never seen the holiday special. Don't, don't. Don't I've, put yourself through that. <laughs> that's what Terrible. I heard. Terrible. Yeah, but I've heard. I, I wanted to see it to know like right you know what it what exactly and yeah it was bad well after the after the very uh fairly thorough description he gives in it i'm just like (laughs) yeah i don't want to see that you said the first 10 minutes are just wookies roaring at each other (laughs) b arthur actually does sing in that too that's hilarious that's yeah you should at least do that song. It's pretty funny. Which, <laughs> you know, you say, oh, yeah, I'd watch a movie with just Wookiees talking. And I, maybe it's just the, I don't know. I don't know. Part of me is like, that sounds still kind of sounds awesome. And then part of me is like, but special. I don't know. So, at a chat room, has anyone uh, seen the the, hol- the uh, holiday special? Because, like, like I said, I've never seen it. So, um, see what y'all think there in the chat room. Um Okay, so at this point, he ends up becoming uh, friends with Francis Ford Coppola, which, like I, like I was talking about beforehand, the fact that he gets together with these other guys, I'm just like, that's just crazy to me. Um, they get together after graduation. Um, they start sh- shooting little shorts and stuff together, um, and they both hated the Hollywood machine. That's one of the things that bonded these men was that the fact that they're like, uh, yeah, sure. You can, you know, you can get a film degree and you go to film school and then, you know, you'll end up being, you know, the lowest guy on the totem pole. And after maybe 10 or 15 years, you'll be editing video. And then after another several years, you might actually get to direct or write something. And they're just like, that's bullshit. I'm doing this right now and I'm doing it the way I want to do it. And the fact that they were able to do it is what's so freaking crazy. So, um, I saw part of it. He said, it's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, I just saw that. Um, so, um, it, it, and it's at this point, so once again, we kind of wander off. We're talking about this. We wander off. And he starts talking about how the Force is uh, undefined enough to be incorporated by Christianity, Buddhism, uh, and several other uh, religions. And I had heard part of this before um, about the uh, 2001 email thing that happened in New Zealand during their census. About how the email started going around, I didn't and know this uh, that was hilarious. Yeah, fifty-one thousand people said that they were Jedi on their census, and uh, they had to they, they had to count it as a a religion because that that many people had had written it in, and it was the second largest religion. <laughs> on that that is hilarious to me. Um, and then of course it spread onto other countries. So. <laughs> Um, but the fact that it talks about, you know, there were some people who tried to kind of organize it as an actual religion, but for the most part, most people are just like, yeah, I'm not, when I say I'm a Jedi, I'm not 
I'm not saying I'm really like I want a lightsaber. Oh, everyone wants a lightsaber, but I'm not saying I'm I, I'm gonna walk around with a lightsaber all the time trying to force push. I want the force. Like, the force is with me. Exactly. I'm just. I want with the force. I'm just trying to be a good person. Is what it boils down to. And I'm just like, right. I'm down with that. So, um, maybe we should have someone try to teach uh uh, uh talk about the Jedi religion at Geek Fest. Um, I'm not volunteering to do that. I'm just saying, um. But um, okay, and then it talks about, and once again, we're we're talking about some of the other things. You know, I brought up the the lightsaber things. The Golden Gate Knights actually teach lightsaber fighting, um, and I've heard about this class. I've seen you know videos and stuff of it, and it's one of those things. I'm like, yeah, that'd be fucking awesome to do. To be honest with you, um, because there you know, are just studios in the big cities that do that pretty regularly now. I would think Austin has to have one. Yeah, I, I feel like there's a cosplay group that does maybe not regular classes, but events once in a while where they teach that. Yeah, that might be something. That might be something I have to look into. But yeah, um, and then he brings up uh, uh, Jacile Raza, aka Star Wars Kid. And, you know, is, is, and I understand what he was talking about. You know, people were watching it, you know, not, yes, there were people watching it to make fun of him, but a lot of people were watching it because they're like, yep, this kid's doing exactly what I used to do, you know, when no one saw or whatever. So, um, he talks about, and, and I didn't realize it had gotten that, that bad for that kid. Like he ended up like going to private school. He had to have a bunch of counseling and stuff. Um, uh, you know, even when even when he was just fourteen, which is which is you know sad. It it's definitely it's kind of like the early the early stages of the early days of some of the uh, the bullying that we see now. That's unfortunately so common on the internet. Um, and he even talks about that. But 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 he 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 says that you know he now actually does speeches and stuff and talks about. It. He's like, listen, I've I've lived through it. I've been there. You will survive. You will make it you know, find your friends and, you know, it, there's a, a positive note that came out of it, which was, you know, nice to hear. So, um, but then it goes back to George and it talks about, um, he got married in 69. He started an independent film company, American Zoetrope, uh, with Coppola. And their first movie was THX and the studios hated it. The studios did not understand it. All of the like, uh, artsy people loved it. You know, it was making all, you know, hitting all these awards and everything, but the studios hated it. And um, it basically kind of it was sold, but no one would release it. And they kept, you know, kind of messing around with it. And he was like, it's like they have one of my, for, they have my child hostage and they won't let me have my child back. And they're talking about chopping off fingers. And he's like, I felt horrible. And I was like, man, that, that sucks for poor George. Um, but he wanted to direct. Flash Gordon, uh, they didn't have uh, enough clout to do that, though. Um, and they were able to sell American Graffiti and The Star Wars. And this is what kills me is The Star Wars was a registered thing, but there was literally nothing with it. It's like there was no, there was no, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't even a treatment. There was nothing. It was just like, hey, I've got this idea. We're going to call it The Star Wars. So, um, Graffiti was the another movie that basically kind of fell into limbo. Um, and he starts writing Star Wars at this point and he starts throwing around names and places. Um, and he's 
heavily influenced by Hidden Fortress. Um, I didn't go into a lot of stuff as to this part, but this was one of the parts of the book that really starts to get interesting. Um, especially when you start, I, I'm, I've never gone in to look once again, kind of like the holiday special. I've never actually gone to like, look for some of these original treatments or these original drafts of the movie, but some of the stuff he comes up with (laughs) are really bad. And, and he even says, you're probably reading this right now thinking, George, no, go back to that, change this little thing. And that's what we needed to be. And it's just like, it was there, but it wasn't. And it, yeah. Uh, like the bogan, the the yeah. dark side oh, of the God. No. Wow. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, and, and the, the fact that you know, like, it starts off and it was gonna have like this. It was like what, like a, a science or a, a physics lesson at the beginning of the movie, and it's just like, what? What? What are you doing? And he had <laughs> a brother, doing? and they had their dad was. I don't know. It's weird. It w- yeah, it's really weird. Um, the book, if nothing else, the book is worth reading just for that type of information because you're just like, man, this is this is this is crazy. Some of the stuff that he was coming up with. Um, uh, gr- graffiti finally gets released, um, and it makes him a millionaire. Like he ends up making a ton of money, and it's once again one of those things that the movie studios didn't really understand it, ended up releasing it, and it was a it was a big hit. Also, another. I'm going to uh, um, say something else here. I've never seen American Graffiti. Have either of y'all? Yeah, I watched it a few years ago. Wow, you're like kicking ass. I guess, it was, maybe? Or, or was it or was it a waste of time? Or are you just like, yeah, I, I watched mean, it? It was all right, but it was one of those, like, I don't know. It, it, was, it was interesting, but it was just like, what... What was the story? What was the point of the story? You know, I don't know. That was my take on it. Could you but, see his style in it? I don't really remember because I wasn't looking at it that way. I was just, you know, following the story. It just seemed to jump around a lot. And then at the end, I was like, so wait, so why did they do that? And what was the point of that? I don't know. <laughs> but it was all right. You know, it wasn't terrible. But the, well, you the know, struggle it's... to get that one made was oh, like. Oh, yeah ridiculous and then you know like every movie he did there was like struggle bus <laughs> just yeah sucks to be him it's it, it's funny you know those movies of that type or in that time period were a lot more like all right well i've kind of got an idea for a thing we're going to throw it up there and it doesn't necessarily have to go anywhere or, or do anything it's just it's just a movie yeah and, yeah, yeah so definitely the cars thing you know was very apparent that was very him um let's see here so um uh graffiti is released makes him a millionaire he writes the first draft he chucks it uh chucks a lot of it uh, out and starts the second draft so basically you know he shows it to some people and they're like "Eh, i don't know about this and he ended up taking a big chunk of it and just kind of starting over from scratch um and then it's at this point they're trying to start to sell the Star Wars to some movie theater or some uh, you know movie companies, and they're trying to figure out uh, you know what they can do to to kind of visualize it because uh, they talk about the fact that you know when uh, he gets really animated he's not really telling he's he doesn't do a good job trying to sell the movie but his his um, 
his energy and uh, you know his he really gets into it, and that's kind of what helps sells the movie, uh, which I could definitely see. Um, but it's at this point that they they contact Ralph McQuarrie, and they're like, "Hey, we we would like some some um, uh, you, you know some visuals for this. This is kind of what we're thinking, and and you know they kind of throw it out there." And it's at this point that this is where we first start to get to see some of the stuff that we can definitely kind of see as being Star Wars. Um, Because originally he said Vader was going to be like, he wasn't going to be a big dude. But then in the painting that Ralph McQuarrie does, uh, he's like, well, he he apparently had supposedly just come in from outer space. Yes, that's the picture right there. Thank you. Um, And he has the helmet on and it's this large hulking, you know, and he's just like, yeah, that's it. That's exactly what I want. So, um, what if he had ended up like Dark Helmet? I, <laughs> if, if it hadn't been for Ralph McQuarrie, he might have been a giant. That would be dwarf. so sad. But hilarious. <laughs> but then he's also got pictures of like, uh, um, of, uh, um, Luke and, uh, Luke and Vader. And then, um, it ends up helping helping to sell Anthony Daniels on being C three PO, um. So yeah, it, you know, it, and it's yes, that's. Man, I'm so glad you have that sitting there. That I is, want to talk about this. Can I talk about this? Absolutely. Anytime okay. you want to shut me up to talk about the, what's going on in the book, please do. No, because I was so excited about this part of the book because um, during Geek Fest one year, I wrote to I, I wrote to Lucasfilm first, and they sent me to Disney Publishing, and I said, "Hey, can we have some swag donated?" And they sent us so much stuff. Um, like Star Wars books and uh, um, like 50 Marvel posters, the one with all the characters on it. It was just, it was so nice of them. But they sent us these and it's um, all the post, all the postcards of the um, concept art. And I didn't understand what it was. Um, my, uh, our Sith Lord or Sith uh, delegate to the Jedi Council, um, a mutual friend of me and Hetzel, he was trying to explain it to me and I didn't really get it. And then I read it in the book and I'm like, this is a huge deal. Like what these did. And yes. so like there's on the back there, you can't really see, but there's the original, original sketches like black and white pencil drawings. And it's just like, I'm so glad I have this now. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Like I, when, when you and I finally get to meet in person, please bring that. Cause I'd love to see that. <laughs> like, I really want to see that now. That's awesome. Yeah, but it was so um, cool. He sent us all this stuff like for free, just donated. That's so cool. That is very cool. Um, yeah, I mean the Ralph McQuarrie stuff is just, you know, it it, it is it is different from what it was to what it ended up being. Is you know there there's still a pretty vast gap there, but it's just this was the this was the first time it was ever visualized, and still it's it sets the tone so much for what Star Wars is. So. Um, yeah, I've, I've freaked, I freaking love it. So, um, yeah, that's so awesome that you have those cards. Um, I'm, I'm, that's really cool. Um, it's at this point in 75, he wrote the third draft. Um, he had most of the final product there and Coppola wanted him to, uh, direct apocalypse. Now, um, he, he gets the fourth draft done finally. And, um, Fox gives him a budget of $8 million. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, wow, $8 million, huh? To, to do this sci-fi thing. And, but it, it talks about that, you know, sci-fi movies back then were, you know, 
they were garbage. They, you know, they didn't, they didn't bring anyone in, so they didn't spend any money on them, which is why they looked like such garbage. So, um, but can I just say, like, he kept throwing numbers out throughout the whole book, and I, I have no concept of how much it costs <laughs> to make any movies. So to me, I'm like, eight million dollars was a lot of money back in the seventies, right? Like, apparently not. But well, I think I think he made a reference. There was like uh, he referenced another comedy that came out like the same year or whatever, and it had a budget of like twenty two, twenty four million dollars, and it's just like that's. I was just shocked to hear that movies back then were costing that much. I'm like, what? What were they spending it on since they didn't have to spend it on, you know, all the crap we have today, but I don't know. Exactly, yeah. Um, let's see here. So uh, um, there's a third draft. Okay, so at this point, once again, we veer off. We start talking about something else, and he starts talking about – and I, I remember when this happened, but I completely forgot about it. And it's the uh, Death Star White House petition. <laughs> that was based on the article about how much would it cost to build one um and the fact that obama you know took a moment to you know actually you know the 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 you know the site of course it says once it reaches a certain amount the white house will give a proper you know um acknowledgement of it or whatever but just the fact that the white house took a moment to say yeah we're not we're not going to build that because of this this and this and <laughs> Which is awesome. That's why Obama's the fucking shit, okay? (laughs) I used to have the photo of Obama, like, wielding the lightsaber. That was my wallpaper on my computer for a long time. Nice. Oh, I love Obama. I miss you, Obama. (laughs) And jumping ahead, it it talks about um, um, the guy who ends up building the... uh, And like I said, I'll find his his name on here somewhere, but... um, he ends up building the the 3PO costume and got really really close to how it's supposed to look and Disney was like uh yeah hey can we hire you to do stuff and he's like don't you have like you know a bunch of these are like yeah we have 3 of them they're all in a museum <laughs> <laughs> and so he became the official Disney rep like how do you fall a into job. a fucking job what like a that life. what a fucking life and then ends up going to the White House and is in, in an elevator with, I think he said, what was it, like Chewy or whatever. And the president steps in. He's like, hey, can I be with you or whatever? And he just goes into the routine and the voice. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That I know, is- and Michelle was the one that wanted that, right? Like, she was the one that was Yes. Like- Which is so fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, and, now, and then at this point, it starts talking about some of the parodies, the hardware wars and um, – and then I've got to go into the, the Mad Magazine stuff here real quick. But that's one of the things about Star Wars that's um, – I think a lot of people were – kind of one of the initial fears when Disney bought uh, Lucasfilm was that Lucas has always been very much of the mind that as long as you're not making money off of it and it's not porn-related because it talks about that. He was very, very adamant. There is no – there will be no adult you know, references you know, to anything Star Wars. Uh, but for the most part, as long as you're not money, you're not do- you know not making money, you're not doing that. Go for it, like have fun with it and and create spoofs and, and everything else. Um, hard hardware wars, uh, I thought was really funny. The the ones that I liked the best though were um, uh, what was it? Was it was it troop? Was 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 it either was it troops or was it called troopers? I don't remember the one that was that was done like uh, cops when they're on Tatooine. I fucking love that one. <laughs> That one's great. Um, 
And then that movie that they made where everyone sent in like four seconds of the movie and they basically just like put it all together and redo it. That see that type of stuff I think is awesome. Um, but they talk about mad magazine and, um, I used to listen to a podcast with, um, uh, Dick D. Bartolo. Um, he's still one of the writers for mad magazine. He was one of the original writers as well. But, um, he talks about how the fact that, uh, they completely changed the way that if it wasn't for mad magazine, um, uh, parody in the unit in the U S would not basically exist. Like they're the ones that went to the court, fought all of those battles, did everything else. But I think it's hilarious. The fact that they made a parody and then someone in legal didn't know what was going on. So they sent them a cease and desist letter and they literally just sent them back the letter that George Lucas wrote them saying, I'm your biggest fan. <laughs> Which I love Which I that they hilarious. they kept after all those years, and they oh, knew exactly where it was. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that is such a mad thing to do to literally just have their legal team say, "Here, just send them this letter, <laughs> and yeah. be done with it." Um, but see, those are the little stories that are in this book that I love so much. Some of the stuff that I I didn't know about or I'd forgotten about or whatever. Um, I lost my place. Um. Let's see here. So, uh, the White House. Um, so, now, now at this point, they start casting. And he actually had two different casts. And the one that we got was actually his second choice, which I think is also awesome. Um, the crew in, in England didn't respect him. It talked about um, um, he was hoping that he might can make the movie for $16 million. Just a little over budget from the eight that he was originally told. Um, but that was interesting that he talked about how, uh, um, you know, he kept running into all these production problems and how, uh, uh, you know, they're like, Oh, it's tea time, time for a break. And like, everyone just literally dropped everything, um, you know, to get stuff done. Um, but it it also, but it's at this point, it starts talking about how he's directing the movie and you can definitely see that as being some of the issues with the prequels because it's very much as they as as he wrote it, uh, it was very much like documentary style. It's like, all right, here's your lines, you say them, <laughs> and I want to film it, and that's how it's gonna it's go. Terrible, yeah, like no direction, no yeah vision. I don't know. Do it. What was it? What were the two lines that I think Carrie Fisher said he's he he only ever said was like do it faster or do it better or something like that. That was like two things he ever. That's all he ever said. Okay. And how the fact that people were like you know uh you know they they'd give him crap about it. they were like you know George you can write this but you can't say the shit. <laughs> I think was the line. Um, once again, huge difference from the prequels. Um. And then we get to this other thing that I thought was really interesting was uh, Charlie Lippincott, who was kind of like uh, who's promoting the movie, used kids, used strategies to hype Star Wars before the movie um, going to this was totally foreign to me. Like I was like, this is interesting. He talks about going to comic book conventions and had to convince them to let him talk about a new movie coming out. And I'm just like. Can you imagine like San Diego Comic-Con if there weren't movies there to promote? Like, that's just crazy to me. So, um, he's, he's a game changer, man. Oh yeah. He was a hell of a game changer. Uh, they had comic books. They had the books coming out beforehand. Um, I know you've read a lot of the books. Uh, Jennifer, have you read Splinter in the Mind's Eye? I think I did read it like a long okay. time ago, but I was a kid. So, yeah. Okay. 
I've I've never read it, and I just it never kind of popped up on my radar. So, uh, and then uh, you know they had to, they wanted to make a um, they they wanted to make a comic book series and went to Marvel, which is kind of interesting, just the fact that it was Marvel. Um, and when Star Wars opened, and I didn't know this either, it opened on just thirty screens. Yeah, that is crazy to me. Nobody um, wanted to take a chance on it. Yeah. 30 screens it opened up on and it's the reason why movie theaters had to stop had to start you know started the policy of when the movie's over you have to leave because up to that point they didn't really care <laughs> which i'm also like that's <laughs> that's crazy to me yeah. um so yeah so uh it basically created uh repeat viewing um and then it goes into the merchandising and how talking about how you know People don't, you know, they didn't merchandise movies. They were like, because a movie came out, it was out for a while, and then it was gone. And it's like, well, why would you want to buy stuff for a movie? TV shows are the way to go, um, which, of course, is just a complete, you know, almost, you know, 180 from the way it is now. But, um, and then he starts talking about Rancho Obi-Wan. And I had heard of this place. I have got to go to this place. <laughs> like, this is on my geek bucket list is to go to Rancho Obi-Wan. Um it uh for those in the chat, basically what it is is um it's the ranch that was opened close to um you know the the uh the original Lucas compound and it literally has like everything you can ever think of that's ever been made of Star Wars. And um He's like, you know, people will walk in and be like, all right, I get it now. And he said, of course, there are the other people that walk in and are like, yeah, maybe my obsession's not as bad as I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think I think it'd be hilarious to take my wife to it just so that she could see. I'd be like, listen, I know you think I've got a, a collection behind me. You have, you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea. Um, yes. Uh, so there so there was that. There's uh, the Rancho Obi-Wan. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to run through here some real quick. Uh, open the 30 screens. The merchandising, um, tons of space ripoff. They, they had lots of different ripoff movies and stuff. It was said that it basically saved Star Trek. Uh, they saved Star Trek the movie by taking over the special effects. And, um, then they had to go into a big legal battle with Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. That was interesting. I didn't know that either. So, and it's at this point that we got the, the Christmas special that we've already kind of referenced and how, you know, even, and I, I didn't know this about it. The fact that before it was even finished, like they were like, yeah, can you take my name off of this? <laughs> like it was written off that badly. Um, so empire, so they start filming empire. And that was one of the other things is they're like, oh, well, you know, the, the contract says, you know, if you don't make another star Wars within a certain amount of time. You know, you're going to lose certain things. And, of course, they immediately turned around and started making Empire. It falls behind on budget. Um, and it, it, it talks about the fact that um, they were behind on budget. They didn't think they were going to be able to get the movie made. And then all of a sudden, they start getting this huge, like, uh, injection in the arm, money-wise, from the toy sales. Had it not been for Star Wars toys, Star Wars would be dead. Like we would have never gotten Empire Strikes Back, um, and the way he wrote that I thought was very, it was very poetic. That the way he wrote it was something to the fact that 
um, it, the kids' imagination of Star Wars is what saved Star Wars. And I was like, that's that was really cool. So, um, then Revenge comes out. Or we start working on Revenge. Um, of course, they keep going back and forth trying to change the names. Lucas didn't. Um, he didn't direct it, but was very much in the driver's seat. Um, and a lot of people did not like the Luke and Leia reveal. Surprise, surprise. Um, kind of reminds me of some of the other stuff going on with Star Wars nowadays. Um, yeah, and then it's at this point we kind of go back and it starts talking about how um, Marshall Lucas asked for a divorce after George you know, returned from shooting uh, Return of the Jedi. And she had fallen in love with a stained glass maker. Um, and I didn't really write down any of the stuff on there, but it talks about how, um, you know, that didn't really work out too well for her, at least not emotionally. It basically, you know, I think she ended up getting divorced or whatever later on. I mean, she still made a crap ton of money and actually edited some of the best scenes in some of the movies. Uh, she was actually very important when it came to the editing of Star Wars. She won um, an award that he he never did. Like, you know, oh, that's right. She was the only one that wore, <laughs> won an award for it, and he never did. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, but and, and then it talks about the fact that he was, you know, he's the one that got the kids, and he's the one that raised them, and and everything else, and um. And then uh, Star Wars, you know, the interest in Star Wars starts to, you know, falls off pretty quickly. And then they made two movies. And one of the reasons he talked about the interest of Star Wars fell off is because they're like, well, they pretty much wrapped up all the storylines. Like, you know, uh, the the bad guy Boba Fett is apparently dead. The bad guy Darth Vader is dead. The Emperor is dead. Everyone's happy every after. So it's like, where do we go from here? So um, and then we got Caravan of Courage and Battle for Endor. Um, now, granted, I saw these as a kid. I have not watched them as an adult, but I loved these movies as a kid. I loved these movies as a kid because it was more Star Wars and it was it was Ewoks, and I liked Ewoks. So. Um, and then we start getting was, to the. Since oh, I thought it was interesting, all of the like almost shows we had and all these little side projects that never quite panned out, you know, over the years. Like, what would it be like now if we'd have gotten those? You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how much different things would have been. Um, so we start getting into the expanded universe, which includes the books, the comics, the games. Um, and he talks about one of the bestsellers, one of the ones that like really took off was Heir to the Empire. Um, and then I'll get to that here in a second. But um, have have I? I know Jennifer. I know you've read the the Thrawn trilogy. Yes. Again years ago as a kid but I, I think those were one of the first ones I read Mandy do you read any of the the Star Wars books or anything no okay um not that it matters because they're not fucking canon anymore it doesn't matter it's still a good story it's still Whatever. a great story Ugh. uh the Thrawn trilogy is so good um I'm so salty. I <laughs> <laughs> but they start talking and then they talk about in the books how um you know they made the conscious decision to kill Chewie um and and then Mara Jade and they didn't like really how how that ended up so um which yeah both of those characters I would have been like if I were reading those books whenever they had come out I would have been pissed uh because I do like you know both of those They were characters. like who who can we kill that will cause the least outcry and <laughs> they killed the family dog 
Yeah, exactly. And everyone just lost their shit. So yeah, and you know, I did I, I didn't mention that, but they talked about that how uh Chewie was heavily influenced by the family dog. <laughs> Which is funny because there's that picture going around, someone's got that that really hairy dog and they put the bandolier on it and it looks a lot yeah. like lot like a Wookiee in a car. And then the irony is Disney flipped it, right? Like, yeah. Exactly, yeah. He lives. So it's at this point he decides that uh, he wants to do prequels just because the technology was there that he finally wanted. Um, But to test that, they're like, well, in order to make the prequels, we're going to be doing a lot of computer stuff. Maybe we should test this out. I know. Let's go back and redo the original ones. Uh. Okay, so... um, it's funny. My 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 new partner that's coming on board this fall was over at my campus today, and he's a huge Star Wars guy as well. And we were having a discussion about this. And what? And for the most part, we're both okay with the special editions. It's like because most of it is just window dressing. It's just like, oh hey, let's just add this, that, and the other. And he brought up. He's like, it's funny. He said, of all the stuff they added to the special editions, he goes, the one thing that I just cannot get over is is Han shooting first. He's like, that's, that's what, that's my line in the sand. That's what I can't stand. And I'm like, you know, what's funny. I was just like, eh, okay, I, I can handle that. I said, my problem was in the newest versions when Vader's, you know, standing there watching, uh, the emperor, you know, kill Luke. He just stands there and he looks and he kind of looks back and then he turns and he grabs the emperor. Well, they add a no in there. And I'm just like, no, don't add the no. I mean, no. And I know it's stupid. That is so minute, but it drives me insane. Um, so, yeah, that's why we got the special editions was so that, you know, ILM could basically go back. Initially, they were just going to clean up the movies, which they needed to do, because if you've ever seen some of those original shots from the original film they pulled, it's like, wow. Yeah, I'm glad y'all saved those films because, <laughs> because they were looking rough. Like Vader was blue. There was nothing black about Vader. He was blue. Um, and then it starts talking about how, um, you know, we were going to get the new movies and people started camping out a month before the Phantom Menace. And I remember this. <laughs> I love that. Oh, I yeah, do that, too. That was a funny story. Okay. I, I have to admit, I love reserved seating for movie <laughs> theaters. I love reserved seating. But there is a little part of me that does kind of miss the, the camping out for the, the movie stuff. Because he talks about the camaraderie that, that happens in the lines. And you do get that from time to time for, like, new game consoles or, like, for a while there when, like, the new iPhone was coming out. You know, there were these big events where people would camp out. And, you know, they just they talk. And, you know, they had, there was some kind of a common interest that they could, you know, kind of rally around. So I do kind of miss that from time so, to time. Eugene, did you ever camp out for anything? Um, I've camped out for a few video game consoles. I'm trying to think. I like when I say camp out, like I never had to do. I only had to do overnight once or twice, and those were for game consoles. For movie wise, I've camped out for like you know hours before, but never was like I I, I never had to do the, you know I'm gonna line up you know tonight so that I can get the the movie ticket tomorrow morning. I never had to do that for a movie. But like for some game consoles, yeah, I've I've had to do that. It was, it's interesting. It's, you know, 
Court granted, I'm also 40 now, so not the idea of doing it now is just like, oh god, no, I won't, I won't be in my bed. Um, but you know, when you're younger, it's it's fun, so it's a thing. Um, so people were camping out for the Phantom Menace, um, and it, even though a lot of people do not like it to this day, um, it still made millions and millions of dollars in in the theaters, and it made tons and tons in merch. So it's one of those things. It's like even though you say you don't like it, it made a lot of money, which technically may, means it's a, a, you know, it's a successful movie. So, um, guys that, that camped out and then walked out, like the fuck did I just spend a month of my life waiting for? Oh yeah. That those stories were interesting. Oh and I, you know, what? I've never seen fanboys. Have y'all? I need to watch it just because, and because I mean, he does give away the ending. You know, where they're sitting in the theater, and they're literally the last line is, "What if it's not good?" <laughs> um, yeah. I would actually like to see a sequel, like he was talking about. You know, maybe them going back and either watching the the yeah. sequels that have come out, or you know, afterwards or whatever. Just so, um, the, um, the little Anakin guy. Uh-huh. Who took the the um, Faustian bargain and went to the dark side and then came out and spoiled it for people? Oh my oh, god, that was awesome! <laughs> that whole part of the story. I love walks the up bit. to the guy dressed like like Darth Maul. You die! What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I love that the the movie company was cool though, and just like, hey guys, come on in, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, and the fact that they got some some of the cool stuff that they got because they were so dedicated. Like they said at one point, they brought the original trench up there and were like carving pieces off of it to give to people. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you better be holding on to that because that's like holy grail stuff, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then we start talking about uh, episode two was written in nine months. Um, but um, and. It, it's it's panned as being worse than uh, Phantom Menace, but it made more money. <laughs> so once again, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, you can argue that this is a really bad movie, but if you're going to look at it financially, which and unfortunately the bottom line is, sorry, this this was a good movie. It 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 did what it's supposed to do. So, um, he said he actually had fun writing, um, um. Attack of the Clones, but then when he got to episode three, he was like, I'm having a hard time writing this. Um, he did finally get it written, and this was one of the biggest deals, and we, we, we talked about this, and it, it does talk about this in the book, the fact that the original Star Wars movies, he wrote drafts, he threw out a bunch of stuff, he wrote a second draft, he wrote a third draft, he wrote a fourth draft. He hired people to come in and polish stuff up. Some of the best lines that are in the movies are not from George Lucas, they're from other people. Um, and we didn't get that in the prequels and it shows. Yeah. I think collaboration always makes a stronger, um, results. Um, I, I have this theory about Mike Myers movies that when he collaborated, they were much more funny. And then when he started doing them alone, we got, I'm, I'm not an Austin Powers fan. So that's how I kind of feel about those, but See, yeah, you, I'll- I love the first Austin two, the first two Austin Powers movies. The third one, and then you got things like the Love Guru and stuff like that. And it's just like, what are you doing? Mike? But his early movies, I loved. I just thought they were hilarious because it was like a writing team. Yes. Yeah, and, and like I said, it it shows. I mean, um, 
I, you're kind of kind of conscious of it anyway, but reading this book, it becomes very clear. It's like, yeah, that was kind of the, the big deal. He also didn't have anyone to really challenge him during the prequels, right? Like, the producer just kissed his ass. Mm-hmm. There was no Harrison Ford that was like, what do you mean that's stupid? You know, like, yeah, everyone just kind of, okay, let's do it this way. And, yeah. See, and that's what I wonder. That's the biggest thing to me is like, I'm like, why didn't someone push back? And had if someone had pushed back, we wouldn't would have gotten Jar just, Jar. Would they? Have, well, would we? <laughs> would we have even gotten the movies that we got, or would we have gotten different characters? Like, would he? Yeah. Was he at the point that he wouldn't have taken the constructive criticism and just been like, all right, well, you're no, you and McGregor, you're no longer Obi Wan Kenobi. We're going to find someone else, or would he have yeah. actually taken it and? Maybe internalized it, so. Yeah, because he got. It kind of seemed like he he got to the point where he was untouchable, and nobody dared, you know. Yeah. Criticize or question. Yeah. Um. So at this point, he decides that. Um. um he says he announces there's not going to be any more movies. Um, oh, we got the, we get the thing about the 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 C three PO guy, you know, dressing up. Oh, and it's at this point, he also talks about the droid builders. Okay, so I've met some droid builders. Uh, there's two guys that are both Ghostbusters. They're also in the. I don't think they're five hundred first. They're both Ghostbusters uh, in the San Antonio group, but they're both droid builders. Um, last year for Geek Fest, Laney and I were representing Geek Fest at Classic uh, Classic Game Fest in Austin. And we, they put us in an awesome position. Like we were like one table down from the 501st. So we got to hang out with those guys. Like caddy corner to us was the GI Joe cosplay group. Those guys were freaking awesome. Laney and I are dressed up like Ghostbusters promoting Geek Fest. And then these two guys come in and they're just kind of promoting their own little uh, site. But they're, like I said, they're both San Antonio Ghostbusters, but they have an R2, a working R2 that rolls around and beeps and plays music and has the lights. And I'm just like, well, shit, no, you know, very <laughs> few things can can one up a working proton pack, but a working R2 every yeah. single time. And I have to I, say it is so much fun to hang out with them. I saw a 501st group that had one of those and I was dressed as Princess Leia. So I had to do the feeding the, the message, you know. Mm-hmm. What's cool. funny? I've got a I've got this little piece of clear acrylic that one of the guys gave me, and it's it's got the Death Star plans etched on it. And he gave me one, and he gave uh, uh, um, Laney one, and he told Laney he's like, "Do you want to go do the thing?" She's like, "Yes." And he tells me he looks over to me, he goes, "Pull out your phone, start videotaping." I'm like, "Okay." So as soon as Laney kind of you know, does the little bend over thing, he hits the button, and it starts playing the entire. The entire scene, and she's just like, "Oh my god, this is so awesome!" That's awesome. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, th- that is the most dedicated group of all of them. Those are what do they say, the hot rodders of the Star Wars fan community. Um, and I can imagine, like, I, they opened him up and let me see inside. And I mean, the the wiring and stuff is just phenomenal on these things. And then they bring up the fact that they build them for about ten thousand dollars a piece, but Lucas was. Paying like forty and fifty grand for them. Yeah, he, they ended up using them, right? Because it's, yeah. Like, oh, so like I, everything for the 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 newer movies from here on out. If you see a droid, it was fan built. It's not yeah, which is so flipping Eugene, awesome. If, if you just keep upgrading your proton packs, one day they'll come <laughs> yeah, to you and say, "Can you make these for the movies or a TV show we're doing or whatever?" 
Oh my god, yeah. <sighs> Hashtag goals. <laughs> yeah. No joke. Um uh he talks about the divide in between the prequels and, you know, the the original movies and how he thinks it's generational, but he also gives some points how that's not the case. You know, there are kids that are like, "No, I like the new ones and I don't like the old ones" and or, or vice versa. So, um when he brought up the scene in Spaced where Simon Pegg yells at that kid for liking the prequel. Oh, that was my favorite part. Like I was waiting the whole book for that scene to come up because I just love that. It's so yes. funny. And I, that was and I okay. I love Simon Pegg as well. So and he, he talks about the fact that he was standing next to him and he told him he was like, "Don't keep making the same thing over and over again or whatever." So, um, but yeah. And then I'm so glad Simon Pegg did actually get to be in a Star Wars movie. I was yeah. like, that was so awesome. <laughs> Um, and then it starts bringing in the fact that Pixar was bought because after the divorce, Jobs basically went in and said, I'll pay you. You want this much? I'll pay you this much. And he was basically a fire sale. And he's like, yeah, I need the money. Okay, you can you can have Pixar. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Um, that's just crazy to me. Um, and then it starts talking about how, uh, you know, Disney acquired um, – uh, Marvel and um, oh yeah no so he starts talking about how Pixar you know uh, Disney bought Pixar and how uh, Lucas admired the way that they were treated you know it's basically like yes you belong to us y'all do whatever the hell you want you just keep doing your own thing and how Marvel was done the same way and it's like he even says that you know if you were going to woo George Lucas those were the two com- two companies that you buy and you show him this is how we're going to treat things to kind of woo him. So, um, and I love how the fact that it it does kind of reference it like a, a very um, kind of like a, a, a romantic dating. It's literally we're we're trying to woo you and <laughs> you know it's let, let's get dressed up and and go out on a date and it'll be awesome. Um, and then it talks about how he fell in love in two thousand eight. Uh, Bob Iger asked him about buying Lucas and he said, you know, at that point he wasn't interested, but he wanted to kind of spruce things up. And that's when the company basically starts rebuilding itself. Uh, he brings in Kathleen Kennedy, uh, starts writing Star more Star Wars movies. Um, uh, they said the, the company kind of knew things were going on because a lot of stuff was happening. They, you know, start organizing this, that, and the other, and they ended up selling uh, Disney for $4.5 billion. When I first heard that number, I thought, that seems low. <laughs> but then it points out the fact that the entire company is owned by one man. And I'm just like, okay, well, maybe it's not that low. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be one point, it'd be one, it'd be one thing if it was $4.5 billion, you know, divided up between, you know, 100,000 employees, but it's the lion's share of it went to one dude. So it's just like, um, but yeah. Uh, what did what were y'all's initial thoughts when y'all heard about the Disney purchase? Oh shit! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, let's see what happens. But cautiously optimistic, you know, especially when we found out they were going to be doing the movies because they mm-hmm. do good work and for the most part, yeah, they were good. Other than destroying my childhood. <laughs> uh. Mandy, what do you have any thoughts or? I, you know, I wasn't invested enough to really, you know, have an opinion. I learned a lot when it happened. So people explained to me like, oh, the, you know, 
the expanded universe isn't canon anymore and all of that. Um, I did look for, um, you know how he was all freaked out that there was going to be It's a Small World plane before? <laughs> oh, yeah. Scroll that uh, that doesn't seem to be there. I watched one of the movies after I read it's this not. book. And, yeah, so that's good. <laughs> they avoided yeah. that. So um, the iconic drums aren't there, you know. The, yeah, the the, the Fox fanfare is not there. So, um, of course, technically, once they finalize this, if this deal gets finalized with them buying Fox, it could be again. <laughs> um. But yeah, when I first heard about it, I was like, yeah, I was kind of cost, you know, cautiously optimistic. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, well, who else have they bought? And I thought, well, they bought Pixar and that's turned out really well. And they bought Marvel and that's turned out really well. So I thought this may actually be the best thing because I was definitely of the opinion. I want more Star Wars. Yeah. I just don't want George Lucas doing the Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. So he's getting older and tired and yeah. Blah, blah, so. Um. It, t- it does talk a little bit about NASA, our mostly Star Wars fans. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it talks about, you know, but they they have had some Star Wars references or whatever. So, um, and I don't know, I don't remember if this was in the book, but I wrote this down on the podcast I was listening to. They actually mentioned this to the writer and he said, oh, that's one thing I didn't know about. And he said, I'll have to go back and add it. So I don't remember if it was in the book or if I just added my additional notes. Um it is kind of telling that Star Wars, uh, most people at NASA are very, very much so fans of Star Trek. Uh, Elon Musk, who is kind of kicking everyone's ass when it comes to the space race right now. Do you know why the uh, um, rockets that he has built are called the Falcon and the Falcon Heavy? It's because of the Millennium Falcon. He is a Star Wars Falcon, fan. Or... That's exactly why. <laughs> um, I knew I, I liked like, him for reasons. Uh huh. Yeah, I was like, because when I first heard it, I thought, oh, Falcon. I'm like, oh, it's just a large bird and it carries stuff up. Nope, it's because it's, it's a Star Wars reference. <laughs> that story about the lightsaber going up and everything, that was cool. That, that was, was George Lucas was there and like. That was very cool. Um, in 2013, Lucas, um, got married, had a son, um, and then start talking about about... how crazy it is that a seven year old's having a baby, by the way, even if, even if it's, you know, someone else had it, that's, it's just not, I don't understand. Yeah, it's, it's a little weird, but you know, whatever. It's, it's not like he's a 70 year old guy that doesn't have the money to take care of the kid. You know? No, but it's like, you, you know, he's not going to be around for that kid's life. So. I don't know if they, fi- if they figure out a way to get us to the singularity or, or, you know, actually cryo freezing, I think he'll, he'll be one of the first ones that can afford it. So yeah, we'll see. Um, and then start talking about how he got into this big uh, fight with San Francisco about the museum. And he ended up not getting the land, and he's looking at building it in Chicago. I understand the whole idea of of gentrification of of areas and stuff, but he was talking about building a museum. Really? They gave it to another museum, right? I mean, it's not like they were protecting a neighborhood. Exactly. They thought it would bring too much traffic and too many outsiders. That's cave people, citizens against virtually everything. Like Exactly. Progress? No, we don't need that here. Exactly. Because, I mean, 
And the fact that, you know, you're talking about doing it in Chicago, I mean, hell, any other city, I would have been like, right here, George, we'll give you the land. Are you kidding me? This thing is going to make money right. for this area forever. Oh, so stupid. So, um, and then he ends the book talking about discussing the future of Star Wars. And, of course, when he wrote this, Episode Seven was announced. It was in pre-production, but it had not been released yet. Uh, and he thought, you know, that was actually a good way to end it because, you know, it's a new chapter that's starting with the Star Wars universe and everything. So, um, I love this book. Like I said, that's it's one of the reasons I recommended it to everybody. Um, even if you are a die-hard Star Wars fan, there's got there's at least something in here that you've never heard or forgotten or something. It just and the fact that it's not just the story of how the the movies were made, the fact that how all this other stuff ties in together, and just I love it. I love this book. So. Yeah, I it me cool. too. So, so your copy ends um, before anything about the new movies because the paperback edition has an extra chapter. Really? Yeah. What does it say? Uh, it talks about how when you see the, you analyze the trailer to death, and then it has this um, really nice moment where like George Lucas has said all along, like I've never got to sit in a theater and watch a Star Wars movie. That was mentioned. That is that in the audio book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how it ends, but no, there's this whole extra chapter and they say it's a paperback edition. He made some uh, adjustments, um, talking about like, um, all the actors and everything. Yeah. There was a section when I listened about how they got the primary actors back and some of the negotiations that went into the backstory, but I don't know if it went. I don't think it went that far into it. So yeah. But I, I would be interested to see him do, you know, an a, addition or update the book after episode nine. See yeah, that would be fun. Reaction to that. Was there anything you guys, like, as we're going through the book, thought, oh, he didn't talk about this piece of Star Wars lore or <laughs> anything you noticed he left out? Not that he left out. There were several points in the book when he was starting mentioning something, and I thought, I literally thought, well, this would be a great, you know, I hope he talks about the 501st or something. And then, like, literally the next chapter is <laughs> the 501st. Or, you know, and, um, I mean, there were some places where it, it kind of veered off a little bit, a little much. Like, um, it, it seemed to kind of take a hard right turn when you start talking about the droid builders. I thought maybe that could have been put in a different place, but the fact that it was still in there, I was extremely happy about it. So. But you know what wasn't in there was the onset romance. Oh, True. Yeah. They mentioned and, it briefly, right? Mm -hmm. they, they, did, they did say, I remember at one point he was like, Carrie who had a brief affair with Harrison Ford. It was like I a throwaway it, line. It wasn't anything. Yeah, it was like a really quick line about, you know, about that so oh, i didn't remember it being in there at all yeah the, the one thing i noticed wasn't in there was uh there there's this show called the one man star wars trilogy which is this guy who does he acts out all three movies by himself in like two hours and he just speeds through like every line you know not every line oh but God. but the primary lines he hits on the the, the, the highlights and um, he's actually now endorsed by Lucasfilm. He originally wasn't and got in a little trouble. And then they were like, all right, you can keep doing this, but you got to give us some of the cut, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I went and saw it a few years ago. It was great. It's hilarious. 
The thing that I ha- that he mentions that I haven't seen is the um some of the fan edits where they've done like <laughs> they basically edited the first the prequels together to like one movie. Um, because I know, oh, geez, what is, the actor that he specifically mentions his version that he only screened like one night. I had heard it was actually, to, yeah, apparently his cut was supposed to be really good. Well, that's so. another thing they didn't mention. I guess now that you say that, Star Wars is it Star Wars uncut where they they do like fans reenact, or maybe they did mention. I don't know. They no, they, did, they didn't mention it. Did they talk about that? Okay. Yeah, they mentioned that was it. hilarious. I didn't see all the whole thing, but you know what this is, Mandy? Do you remember this? Like fans reenact one minute or something of of the movie, and they stitch them all together, so you nope. get like I just read about it in the book. I never saw it. Yeah, it's so funny. You gotta watch. It is it. funny because they, yeah, everyone voted on the best one. So I mean, literally, it's like it's like almost every like fifteen seconds or whatever it changes, yeah. and it's. Some of them are done really well. Like they've put, you can tell they put a lot of time into it. And some of them are clearly someone standing in front of a refrigerator or something. Yeah. Or stop motion or. Exactly. You know, yeah. So. Bay or whatever. Like, yeah. Just... Legos and everything. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. So. Yeah. It's really um, well, I, I, like I said, that, uh, that was our book. The next book that we're reading, uh, for next month is called Blunder by Zachary Shore. Um, and uh I it was okay, I don't know where I wrote that so. I'm sorry? I thought it was one of the magic books, no? I no, we're that that'll be a, a month out, so Okay. But yeah, we were gonna read Blunder by Zachary Shore. Unless we decide to change things up. If we do, I'll you know, we can we do a quick vote or whatever, so um because I thought about doing that because the fifth book in that series comes out and I was like, well maybe we could get done in time, but we technically have We've only done the first book. We'd still have three more books to go. and I don't know. We, we can talk about it. So It'd be the Magic um, 2.0 book club for a year. <laughs> yeah, no joke, which I would be okay with because, yes. Um, so uh, that is it for uh, the, the main topic for the evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, what else have y'all been reading, Jennifer? Uh, nothing really since the last book. I, I read a magazine, the <laughs> Servancy's latest issue. It's super exciting, <laughs> but I haven't had time to read or listen to anything else in the last month. Gotcha. So. What about this you, This was Amy? a long-ass book, so. It was a long Yes, book. it is a long book. I got sick, and I laid in bed for three days and read this book, and it was awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a long book. Um, I'm reading Catch-22. I've never actually read it before. Um, oh, okay. It was one of those things where, like, I kept hearing that phrase, like, from different people everywhere. And I was like, you know, I just, I need to get it, get it read. Um, and it's, it's, it's good. Um, it's kind of slow going. So I'm having trouble, like, getting through it. Um, but I, I, I want to. <laughs> I'm not going to give up on it. It's just taken a while. Right. Um, I actually read three different books this, uh, over this time. Well, at least new books that I hadn't read before. Um. The first one was um, Looking Glass. It's the second one in the Natural series from Andrew Maine. The first book is about this uh, college professor. Pardon me. He's uh, he does um, uh, mathematical analysis of um, well of, of different species and stuff, and ends up initially getting uh, fingered for possibly killing one of his former students. 
But um, they end up deciding, oh, no, she was killed by a bear, and he ends up uncovering this uh, this killer that is killing people and making it looking like, uh, you know, it, they're all animal attacks. So that most, you know, all these murders are going un, undetected. And the second book is him finding a um, uh, a guy who's killing kids in uh, Compton, specifically because uh, a lot of them aren't, you know, the people are afraid to go to the police and report all this stuff. So it's a really good book series. I really enjoyed it. Um, the second book I read is really, really short, really, really small. Uh, it's done by a YouTuber. Um, it's called Making Time, and I can never pr- – I don't think I can ever pronounce his last name. It's uh, Bob Claggett. Um, he does the channel uh, I Like to Make Stuff, and um, it's just him talking about how he um, – took a chance you know built up his youtube channel took a chance and and is doing this now full time and how he's uh you know the thing the steps that he's taken to um actually you know make this an actual business for himself so uh that was really good the third one that i read um i heard about it from another podcast it's called um i, I don't know if i can quite recommend it but it's called uh, enlightenment now by steven uh, pinker um it's 20 hours so it's a long book. So very... the chat wants to know if you know that listening to someone read a book to you is not reading. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> I, I have all of the information. I enjoy the story just as much. It's reading. <laughs> um, the, the third book that I read is called Enlightenment Now. I have read other books um, of this ilk. It is basically uh, taking the point that um, as bad as some shit going on right now is, this is still the best time to live in 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 all of history. And the other books that I've read have been very poignant talking about these things, and it brings up different scientific facts and everything to back this up. The reason why I don't know if I can completely uh, recommend this book is because um, it's like getting into a conversation who clearly with someone who clearly knows what they're talking about. Um, and they're like, hey, this is why this is the best time to be alive because of this, that, and the other. And this, and this, and this, and they follow you around, and they follow you home, and they won't shut up for like three days. And you're just like, I, you're right. This is the best time to live. Can, can you please stop? Can, just stop. <laughs> I've got it. I understand. There is no argument I could ever give against this. You have completely and totally beat me into submission. You are right. Just be quiet. Uh, it is a good book, and like I said, it does have a lot, a lot of statistics and factual information. Um, and it would be very hard to um, debate it because it is so well done. But like I said, it's just the fact that there's so much of it. It's it's extremely dense, and it was it was kind of hard to get through at some point. So um, it's called Enlightenment Now. Um, but I mean, he, he goes about it from every angle you can think of, whether it be from social change to, uh, environmental change to, I mean, just everything you can think of. It's like, you know, at some point you're like, well, what about this? And then he immediately goes on for four chapters talking about why that is. And it's just like, got it. (laughs) I've got it. I understand. Um, that is it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. If you would, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Music. It does really help out. You can check us out on epicallygeeky.com, and then, of course, find us 
uh, at Epically Geeky on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, where can we find you online, Jennifer? Uh, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Heads Gonna Be Me. And it just happens to be May right now. That, that's so right. Because <laughs> that meme never gets old. <laughs> right. Mandy, where can we find you online? Um, Mandy Joe Shelton at, on Twitter. Excellent. And you can find me at Optimus Gene on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For everyone on the site, have a good night. has been a presentation of the Epically Geeky Network. 